As we continue in worship now, I'd like to ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me uh, to the Gospel of Luke. And, <clears throat> Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 34. Luke chapter 12, verse 13 through 34. Uh, due to the length of the sermon, we'll read it within the sermon this morning. Now let's pray one more time. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for that it is true. Thank you that in it you provide for us instruction for how we ought to live as followers of Christ. And Lord, we pray that this morning as your word is, as your word is preached, may your spirit do a work in taking it and applying it to each of our lives, showing us where we need to respond and obey you so that you would be glorified, so that the people in our lives that know us would be blessed because you have blessed us. Lord, we grateful, we're grateful for Jesus Christ and thank you, Lord, that in him uh, we have uh, the greatest treasure. Lord, we ask that you uh, would especially uh, do a work in the lives of uh, those who may be uh, joining us for the first time or those who do not yet know Jesus. We pray that they would come to know Jesus Christ today as their Savior and Lord. And Father, for all of us, we pray that the, the instruction from your word would cause us to grow in our love for you. In Jesus' name, amen. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, verse 44, Jesus tells a parable. It's a parable that's a, it's a one-verse parable. It's the, called the parable of the hidden treasure. I'd like to read it for you. Matthew thirteen forty-four reads this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Jesus was teaching that the kingdom of heaven, or also known as the kingdom of God, is so great a treasure that one who finds it is willing to give up everything to attain it. It is that precious of a treasure. God had promised to uh, to Israel, a future eternal kingdom ruled by a son of David. It would be a kingdom where the people of God would find forgiveness of sins and hope of peace and righteousness. And while many in Jesus' days hoped for this kingdom, few sought it like the great treasure that it was. In reality, sinful man sought their treasure not in the kingdom of God, not in the things of heaven, but in the things of earth. And sadly, people still do today. Even among those who worship God, instead of seeking for treasure in heaven, we have at times settled to seek for treasures on earth. And Jesus understands this sinful tendency that man has. For in Luke chapter 12, verse 13 through 34, Jesus teaches his disciples to not seek their treasure in material things, but in God's kingdom. In the circumstances of increasing opposition and hostility to Jesus, he prepares his disciples for inevitable opposition and persecution. This persecution will come because they follow Christ. In chapter 12, verse 1 to 12, Jesus had encouraged his disciples to fear God and not man. 
Now in this passage, Jesus warns his disciples to not look for hope or security in material things, but in God and his kingdom. In outlining our passage today, it's a lengthy passage, we could outline into two sections. Jesus essentially gives two primary commands to his people. Straightforward, they're simply, do not be greedy and do not worry. Do not be greedy and do not worry. But following each command, Jesus provides illustration and he provides explanation of his principles. Significantly, at the end of each section that we're going to look at today, Jesus mentions the word treasure in verse 21 as well as in verse 33 and 34. And this word treasure at the end of each section ties both both of these sections together. Jesus causes us to consider where our treasure is. Where is your treasure? What is your treasure? Our treasure is what we value. It's that which was precious to us. It's what we find not only value, but it's what we often find our identity in. It's what makes us feel special. It's what makes us feel uh, good. It's where we find our hope sometimes in. It's sometimes where we find our security in. So then, as an outline for us today, as these two points, Jesus here cautions his disciples about two sources where your treasure is not to be found. Where is your treasure? Jesus says, teaches his disciples, here are two areas where your treasure is not to be found. And though he doesn't explicitly say where, his treasure, where our treasure ought to be found, the answer is that our treasure is to be found in God and his kingdom. And I pray that this morning's scripture would challenge you and me to consider where our treasure is and that we would reflect and realize that our treasure is in Christ. Let's take a look then at these uh, words of God, words of Jesus Christ. The first place to not find our treasure, where our treasure is not to be, is found in verses 13 through 21. And there in these verses, 13 21, Jesus teaches us that your treasure is not in possessions. Your treasure is not in the possessions of this world. In verse 13 to 15, we get uh, the setting as well as the statement of this principle. And we read verse 13 to 15, the principle, uh, Jesus giving us the setting or the setting as well as the principle stated. Someone in the crowd said to him, said to Jesus, teacher, Tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? Then he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Here in the context of the continuing crowd of people that have been coming to listen to Jesus, an unidentified man asks of Jesus to resolve a problem with his family inheritance. It's a problem that he has with a brother. Probably his brother's maybe the older brother. He gets a double portion. And uh, maybe uh, he wants some of that portion. Who knows exactly the problem? 
But notice that this man doesn't ask Jesus for a judgment. He says, tell me who's right or wrong. He doesn't ask for that. But he asks Jesus to simply to tell his brother to divide the inheritance with him. Jesus, of course, or Jesus here, uh, plainly just declines the man's request. Jesus declines the man's request because Jesus did not come down to earth to judge between men. He did not come to judge the world, John 3.17. And certainly he did not come to judge over matters of earthly possessions. It's, it's like here is the creator of the universe. He's come to, he has made everything in this world. He's come to provide salvation for mankind. And here you, and this man comes up to us and says, Oh, oh, I, can you tell my, tell my brother to share his toys with me? And that's <laughs> how I feel sometimes when I'm at home myself. I'm like, hmm, I'm not here to judge between your toys. Jesus did not come to judge the world and tell people who, how to share their things. Jesus then addressed the crowd. He said to them, and he warned them to beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. Both the verbs here are present tense. A lot of the, in fact, almost all the verbs here are present tense, implying that there is a, a constant lifelong vigilance against greed. This word greed that we are to be vigilant and on guard for is a word that's translated covetousness at times. It literally refers to a desire to have more. I want more. I want this. I want that. And this should come as no surprise that Jesus would warn people to beware of greed or every form of types of greed. Because as humans under the curse of sin, we are easily given to greed. In fact, God, God includes it as the Tenth Commandment. Thou shalt not covet, Exodus 20.17. God knows that man sees what others have and often will greedily want it for himself or herself. Ultimately, greed is a form of idolatry. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, these words, Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. When we fall into greed, we... and in effect, desire the creation more than the Creator. When we want something or someone more than we want to obey God, it amounts to idolatry. Jesus then gives a reason for the caution. Beware of greed, because for life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. You see, our world is deceived. In greed, we want more, thinking that life would be better if we had more of this or more of that. The more you have, we think, the better you'll be in life. But Jesus makes very clear that one's life is not in the abundance, in the abundance of his possessions. All the wealth in, in the world may elevate you in the eyes of fellow men, yes. But none of that wealth does anything for you in the eyes of God. To illustrate this point, Jesus tells the crowd a parable in verses 16-21. It's the parable of the rich fool. This is the only place in, in the Gospels that this parable is found. It's unique to Luke. Verse 16-17, and 17, we'll start the parable. And he told them a parable, saying, 
the land of a rich man must was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? The story here is about a rich landowner. He's a rich farmer. And his crops one year are very productive. <clears throat> There's an abundance of crops. It's a, a, a year of bounty. <clears throat> Note that he has come by <clears throat> his riches, his wealth, his, his abundance through quite legitimate means. It's, in fact, he's wealthy because of the providence of God. It's God who caused the rain. It's God who caused <clears throat> the appropriate sun. It's God who caused the, the harvest to, to grow in such abundance. But his crops are so bountiful that <clears throat> his problem is that he has no place to store them all. And they will surely be ruined or lost if they are not stored safely. So the landowner comes up with a plan. Verse 18 and 19. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. <clears throat> there I will store all my grain and my goods. <clears throat> And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. <clears throat> the plan that the man comes up with is quite reasonable. <clears throat> he plans to build larger barns to store all his grain and his goods. There's nothing wrong with this plan. It a, seems a very seemingly okay um, uh, plan. <clears throat> the problem is, the man completely leaves out God in his plans. He neither commits his works to the Lord, nor, he, nor does he ask the Lord to direct his steps. He, what's more, fails to acknowledge that though many plans are in a man's heart, that is the counsel of the Lord that will stand. Verse 19 reveals really the man's focus. He's focused on himself. He's focused on his soul. He doesn't talk to God about it. He talks to himself about it. He finds contentment that he has enough goods for many years to come. He is set. He can now enjoy himself. Eventually, essentially, he can retire and live a life of self-indulgence. He is secure. There's no thought of others here. There's especially no thought of God. It's all him. Notice all the first person or the, the pronouns that focus on himself. I will do, I will tear down, I will build, I will store, I will say. It's my barns, my grain, my goods, my soul. And what's more, he says, soul, you can rest. Soul, you can eat, you can drink, you can be merry. That's what the man's focus It's on himself. He is wealthy, he's blessed by God, but his focus is instead, God has abundantly blessed him, but instead of thanking God or considering what God would want him to do with these riches, he thinks about himself. What does God think of this? Look at verse 20, 21. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? Then Jesus says, so is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich. Toward God. God calls this man a fool. He's God's not name calling here, but he's simply identifying the man with a biblical term. He is the biblical fool, a very a part of a terminology that comes out of the wisdom literature. The scripture describes a fool as one who acts as if there is no God, Psalm 14, verse 1. And the man has certainly done that. For in his planning and his accumulating in life, he's failed to include God in his plans. 
He thinks that he can live a long, happily life now that he's secure financially. But he's forgotten that God controls the days of his life. That very night he would die. And then, who would own all this man's possessions? Certainly he would not be able to take it with him into eternity. He lived as if it was his forever. But those possessions were never really his. Just as is true for all our possessions. All possessions are given to each and every one of us by God. We are simply stewards of it. For upon our death, upon this man's death, his possessions would be given to others. He would not take any of it with him to stand before God. And the man ends up being essentially bankrupt before the Lord. Jesus applies this parable to his listeners in verse 21. He says, Those who store up treasure for themselves and are not rich toward God are fools. If life is all about gaining wealth for yourself, then you are a spiritually bankrupt fool. But if you are rich toward God, that is, you use your wealth, the possessions that God gives you, to serve God and to serve others, you will store up treasure in heaven. Now, keep in mind, this is not a a work salvation. This is not where you, by giving, you you earn your salvation. But rather, it's a reflection that one is saved. One has a right relation with God. It reflects an awareness that our lives do not belong to us. It's not just our things don't belong to us, but our lives don't belong to us. We belong to God. God is our creator and we are his creation. He is our Lord. He is our king. He is our God. And all our possessions are from him and therefore we use them as stewards to accomplish his will, his purpose for his glory. Yes, he gives us wealth to enjoy. Yes, he gives us wealth to provide for our families and be a blessing. But it's ultimately for him and for for the blessing of others. God blesses us so that we may be a blessing to others. Whether through physical or spiritual blessings. There's a lot of application in this for our lives, and you just think of many different ways. But I just simply focus on for those of us that are young. If you're young, that is, if you're someone who hasn't retired, that's essentially young, we need to learn from this parable. Don't fall into the trap of thinking that life is all about possessions. Because when we're young, that's what we think. I already have. Uh, I have first-hand experience of some young people in my life that uh, whenever they think about it, they will come and ask me for some things, and for things this or that, and, and they think that they'll be happy about that. And, I'm, and as a father, I'm happy to give it to them at times. But I'm very much aware, and I think we also need to be aware, that eventually it's not things that make us happy. Eventually those toys become gadgets, watches, tablets, phones. They eventually become cars, homes, 401ks, 403bs for those of us working nonprofits. They become the clothes we wear, the, the jewelry we wear. They become the, the, uh, the things that, that make us feel special or unique, the cars that we drive, if I don't mention that already. Life is not about possessions. And I hope the older you are getting, the more you realize that this is a dead-end pattern. Because once you get something, you realize in a short while, you will no longer be happy by it, and you will want more. You'll want something else. 
Life does not consist of an abundance of possessions. Instead, as God entrusts you with wealth, commit yourself to using it for His glory. Now, if you're older, that is, if you're retired, you have probably by now acquired a comfortable savings. You are like the, the rich man here. You've acquired enough to live comfortably for the rest of your life. But don't fall into the trap of thinking that your retirement is now an excuse for you to live a life of self-indulgence for yourself alone. Yes, you may rest. Yes, you may enjoy some of your time. But and you may think that you worked hard for others, your family, your kids, your, your parents even, or others. And you might think that you can now just live completely for yourself, enjoy yourselves, just live a hedonistic, epicurean life. But your life and your possessions still belong to God. The Lord wants you to be rich toward Him. Use this time and these resources, whatever the little days you have left, to be rich toward God, whether through finances, whether through your time, whether through your service. God has given us all that we possess. Most importantly, God has given us His Son. And we who follow Jesus Christ, whether young or old, must use what He has given to us to serve Him. Your treasure is not in your possessions. This leads us to point number two. A second place where we ought not to find our treasure in that Jesus teaches us. And this is verses 22 to 34. And Jesus here in 22 to 34 teaches us that your treasure is not in food and clothing. Very similar to possession. It's a type of possessions. And in verse 22 to 23, uh, just like in the previous passage, Jesus begins with the principle stated. Verse 22. And he said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Notice Jesus turns his attention to his disciples now. He's spoken to the crowd. Now he's speaks directly, specifically to his disciples. Now, in these disciples, we're in the context here, it's particularly, this is a fitting uh, word for them, because with the constant travel, they would follow Jesus everywhere he went, there would be times that they would face the reality of not having enough bread or not having enough drink. They would say, there, well, there's not enough food here. But they would learn that they need to depend upon Jesus to provide food and drink that they would not find their treasure in having enough food or having enough clothing. What's more, in the days ahead, with increasing opposition, persecution, these disciples will face times when their, their food and their clothes will be taken from them, stripped from them. They will not have enough. A real concern for many of our brethren around the world is simply a lack of basic necessities like food and clothing. And to these saints, Jesus says, do not worry. Do not worry about your life. Do not worry about what you'll eat. Do not worry about your body as to what you'll wear, put on. Like the warning against greed, the warning here is a, is a call to continual resistance. Don't worry about what you'll eat, what you'll drink, what you'll put on. It's not that the, and I want to add even here as we say this, that Jesus is not speaking about the, an instance of, of worry, in a sense. He's speaking about continual worrying. 
being worried or being anxious about something when circumstances arise, being causing a, a sense of concern is a normal human emotion. When circumstances are out of control, it, it should cause us to be a little worried, a little anxious about it. It's uncomfortable because it's outside of our control. That's a normal response when things are out of our control. But like all emotions, there's a right response to emotions and a wrong response. And God gives us the emotion of, of worry or anxious, anxiety as a means to teach us then to turn to trust in God, to trust in the Lord. A wrong response is to keep on worrying. And when we keep on worrying, that's what Jesus is, is warning us against. For when we keep on worrying, it can further lead to further, uh, further feelings of, of dread or despair or depression. Many of you probably have read the news that even because of our shelter in place, there are a lot of people who are wrestling with with mental health, emotional health, and maybe they're at home and they're worrying and they're not able to stop worrying because there's nobody else in their life speaking into them. And it's leading to depression. It's leading to lots of suicide attempts. Jesus warns us, cautions us, that disciples of Christ are not to continually worry about the necessities of food and clothing. Jesus gives this reason for this warning in verse 23. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Life is more than food and clothing. (laughs) I think here in America, uh, where we have such an abundance, we sort of like, we'll take this kind of for granted, we like may shrug, you know, "Hmm, that's not my problem. I'm not not really worried about my food and clothing. I got enough food um, at, at any time, or I have enough clothes to wear. But I don't think we realize how much we, we, though we have an abundance of food and clothing, yet we're at the same time consumed by it. We're, it's our, it becomes our focus at times. Now, I don't mind it. It's not wrong to, to enjoy food. It's not wrong to enjoy nice clothing. Uh, God gives these things for us to enjoy, all things to us to enjoy. But I wonder... You know, just think about it when you go to social media or something like that. What do we post about most? Yeah. What we eat and what we wear. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't want to say, don't, I'm not judging you, okay? But just notice that. That's what we do. We, we post about what we eat and what we, what we wear. Now, if that's all you post about, unless you're one of those Instagram influencers or whatever you are, if that's all you post about, then you might want to think about what that says about your life. For life is more than food and clothing. And Jesus wants us not to worry about it. Because God will take care of our food and clothing. Now, Jesus illustrates this by providing for us illustrations. I'll call it pictures in verse 24 to 30 of God's care for us. Pictures of God's care And he provides two pictures. First, from the ravens, in verse 24 to 26. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, they have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his lifespan? 
If you then, if then you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Jesus points out that ravens are sometimes uh, uh, these these blackbirds that we see kind of all around, even our, our United States here. Ravens, they're everywhere, they, and they always they don't seem to ever lack for food, right? They don't farm, they don't do any work, they don't have places to store their food either. But yet, God always feeds the, the ravens. Jesus further points out that you are more valuable than the birds. You're more valuable than the ravens. He feeds the ravens, but you're more valuable than the ravens. The implication that you don't have to worry about food because God will feed you because you're more important than the birds even. Of course, because you're made in the image of God. You're created in His image. Jesus then rhetorically asks any of us whether any of us can add to our lives by worrying about food, that we, the food that we, want, that we need. The answer is no one. In fact, we know that studies show that worrying is linked to increased risks of death. Uh, affects our health. So Jesus' point is that worrying doesn't accomplish anything that is good. Whether worrying about your lifespan or worrying about the food you'll eat. Jesus moves on to another picture, a picture from the, the flower called the lilies, verse 27 through 28. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, but I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass in the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you men of little faith? Lilies are a type of plant known for these really large, prominent, beautiful flowers. They come in a variety of colors. They come to spotted and speckled and things like that. And Jesus points out these lilies that are such beautiful flowers, they do no work. They neither toil nor they spin. They don't sow any clothes in the idea. And yet, they are clothed more beautifully than even King Solomon, the, the wisest king, the richest king of all of Israel's history. So if God clothes the flowers and the grass, which have only a brief existence, are here today, gone tomorrow, how much more will He clothe His people, whom He's made to live forever because of the souls that He's given us? When we worry about our food or our clothing, we reveal that our, our faith is little. Jesus summarizes in verse 29 to 30. And do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink, and do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek, but your Father knows that you need these things. Don't keep worrying, Jesus says, about what you'll, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, what you'll wear. Don't keep seeking after these things. These are the things, Jesus says, are what the world seeks. If your life is all about seeking food and drink, he's saying basically you're like the pagans. You're like those who don't know him, know God the Creator. Jesus points out that your Father in heaven knows that you need these things. God knows you need food. God knows you need drink. God knows you need clothing. And because God is a God of, who is good, he knows and he will provide them for you. Followers of Christ will put their trust in God. Jesus 
then concludes this section on uh, not finding our, our treasure in food and clothing with the right priorities, the right priority of God's people. In verse 31 to 34, the priority of God's people. We'll read the whole, uh, whole few verses here. 31 to the end. But seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Instead of seeking after food and drink, instead of seeking after material possessions, Jesus teaches us as his followers to seek after his kingdom, God's kingdom. We are to do this continually. This is what we are, this is our life's goal, our life's aim to seek his kingdom. And when we do that, as we seek God's kingdom throughout our lives, God will provide the necessities of food and clothing. All these things that we, that we tend to worry about, God will provide for us. It doesn't mean, notice it doesn't mean that He's going to provide for us all that we want, but He will provide for us all that we need. It's His promise. We don't have to be afraid of not having enough of what we need. We don't have to worry. Why? Because your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. He is pleased to give you so much more than just food and drink. He's already he's promised He's happy to give you the kingdom. Why would He not give you food? Why would He not give you clothing? He's given you His kingdom and all the blessings of peace and righteousness and forgiveness and salvation are found in this kingdom. He's pleased to give you an inheritance and a place in this promised kingdom. And so that's why we ought to spend our lives not seeking after the things we need. He'll take care of that. We need to spend our lives seeking after first and foremost His kingdom. It's per- the parallel is uh, Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So what does it look like to seek His kingdom? What does it look like to seek God's kingdom first? Initially, at the very beginning, it means making sure that one enters into this kingdom. One becomes a a part of this kingdom, a citizen in this kingdom. And how do we become a member? By receiving this kingdom as a gift from God. And later on in Luke 18, 17, Jesus is going to teach that one must receive the kingdom of God with childlike faith, like a child does, with Childlike trust and dependence upon God to provide. It is a kingdom promises provided freely to us, to those who receive it. It is received through believing in the gospel, the good news of this kingdom. It's, it's ultimately, this gospel is through faith in the king of this kingdom. And this king came as a man and died in place of our sins on the cross and he rose from the grave so that all who repent and believe in him find forgiveness and salvation this man is Jesus Christ to become a part of the kingdom to seek the kingdom means first and foremost 
to place your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Secondly, though, seeking the kingdom means conducting ourselves in a manner that is characteristic of kingdom citizens. Matthew uh, chapters 5 through 7, the, the, um, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' whole sermon there is focused on the, the characteristics of kingdom citizens. And one of those qualities is to use our possessions to help others in need. Jesus here in these verses in, uh, in Luke 12 are asking us to use our possessions to help others in need. Sell your possessions, give to charity, give to as alms, give to those who are in need. He may not call you to sell all that you have and give to the poor, but He's calling each and every one of us to be willing to do so as the need arises. The early church in Acts did that. As needs rose, people sold their, their possessions and they gave. And they didn't have to give it all. They could have gave some. But there must be there was a, a willingness to be generous with our position, possessions, our lives, and our time to further God's kingdom. And Jesus says, in so doing, when we, when we give to charity, when we, when we give towards us, be a blessing with our possessions, we end up, what we do is we, make, we store treasure in heaven. We make ourselves money belts. You could just say, that's what you start. You make yourselves wallets or purses which do not wear out. I mean, I don't know how many times in your life you have to change out a purse or change out a, a wallet. Those things can wear out. But he says, as you use your wealth and princess to give, to be a blessing to the, those who are in need, you will make for yourself a wallet, a, a money belt that will not wear out. He basically, in other words, you're going to store up for yourself treasures that are eternal, treasures in heaven that will never fail, where moth and rust you cannot destroy. Thieves cannot steal. Again, this is not a, a salvation by works. It's not like by giving to the poor. That's how we, we store up treasure. That's how we gain our eternal life or, for, or forgiveness of sins. But it, it's a salvation by grace. Because we're salvation by grace, that this is reflected in our works. Because we've already ent are, ent have the hope of entering into the kingdom, that we live as kingdom citizens. We live with the generosity of our King and the generosity of our God, who did not withhold anything from us. In fact, He's happily given to us His kingdom. And therefore, what can we hold back? He will provide His promise to provide for all our needs. And then Jesus ends, verse 34, with a most profound statement. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Basically, it says, where, whatever it is that, is that you treasure, that there will be your heart. That that is what your heart will be focused on. That's what your mind, your soul, your strength, your life will be devoted in. It's what you will spend your time on, your energies on. It's what you will give your, your full life seeking after, to treasure it so that you will not lose it because that's your treasure. You will pour yourself into that which you treasure, Jesus says. 
In conclusion, the question for you and me to consider is this. Where is your treasure? Where is your treasure in? And you can ask the parallel question to that. Where is your heart devoted? What is your heart committed to to pursue and seek? If your treasure is in possessions, then you're going to be pouring your heart and life into attaining and holding on to the things that cannot you cannot take with you. But if your treasure is in food and clothing, then you will devote your heart and life to acquiring food and clothing that you desire. Things that Jesus has made very clear that you really don't need to worry about because your Father knows you need them and provide them. In fact, He has promised to provide you His kingdom. These are two places that we ought not to find our treasures in. And if your treasure is in these things, then I pray that you would repent, that you confess that as sin to God, that you would consider that there is a greater treasure that you can have, that you have as a believer. May your treasure not be in the things of this world, but in God and His kingdom, and ultimately in His King, Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is our greatest treasure. He is a treasure of so great value that we would be willing to give up all that we have to follow Him, that we may enter into His kingdom and be with Him forever. Don't live just for these next 70 years or so in your life. Some of us much less. Live for the next 70,000, 700,000, 7 million years of your life. Let your treasure be found in Christ. I want to invite you, if you are out there and you have not yet Receive Jesus Christ as your greatest treasure. I invite you to do that today. Maybe you've, in listening to God's word, have come to realize what Jesus has taught. That possessions are empty. They are fleetingly a source of joy. And then it's gone. And then you want more. The treasure in living for food or for clothing also is empty. But you've come to realize that what Jesus says is store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. You, you want this treasure. You want the security of knowing that you will have a possession when you leave this world when you stand before God, and perhaps it is today or tomorrow 
or this week or this month that you will, your life will end and you will answer before God. You want to be sure that you have something that you can answer with Him, provide for Him, and stand before Him with. It's, you aren't going to stand Him with any possessions or any of the food or clothing you've eaten. You can only stand before Him with Christ. And so I invite you to receive Christ today. Receive Him who died for your sins and rose from the grave who now sits at the right hand of the Father, who intercedes, and if you would return from your sin and receive Him by faith, that you will have forgiveness of sins and eternal life and a place in the kingdom of God. Won't you invite Him today? Receive Him with childlike faith? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus' words to us today. Thank you, God, that he warns us and cautions us against finding our treasure in our possessions, nor finding our possessions in our food and clothing, our necessities. Life is more than food and drink. Life is more than an abundance of possessions. Life is found in Christ. Life is found in the hope of the kingdom. And God, we pray that as we've heard Jesus' words, that all of us would turn away from having placed our treasure in earthly things and that we'd find our greatest treasure in Jesus, that we'd live our lives with the abundance and riches that you provide us, that we would be rich toward you, that we'd use it to serve others, to be a blessing to others, to glorify you, to meet others' needs, especially during these days. Thank you, God, for blessing us with great abundance. We pray that we would use the treasures that you've given here on earth to be a blessing to others, to be rich towards you. And Father, we pray that if, and we praise you and thank you that you've given us the greatest gift of all, the greatest treasure of all in Jesus Christ. Thank you that through him we have the hope of entering into the kingdom of heaven. And God, we pray that we would treasure Christ more, most of all, that we would live our lives for Christ and seeking after your kingdom. And Father, we pray that any out there who are joining us for our worship and hearing about this Jesus and maybe has not yet turned to faith in Christ, that today, Lord, you'd help them to right now pray and ask that, they would, that you would enter their life, that they would receive Jesus Christ, that they would turn from their life of selfishness and self-focus and sin and turn in saving faith in receiving Jesus Christ as their Lord and King and Savior. God, we ask that you be glorified through now and through the word of God that's been preached. We pray that you would cause it to, bear, to take root in the lives of all of us who've heard it and do your work, God, in our lives, we pray. Guard us from greed Guard us from worry. Help us to treasure Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.